listening to episode 253 of the Out Percussion podcast. My name is Ksenia Kumlenovic, and we will be releasing this on October 15. Um, with me, as always, are Carly Vigna. Hey, everyone. Hey, Carly. Hey, Casey. Hey, how's it going? Hey, and Ben Charles. Hi, everybody. Ben, tell us what happened in music history on this day. Sure. So I found a few things. One, in 1886, Night on Bald Mountain had its premiere. And in 1956, Leonard Bernstein was named the co-conductor of the New York film. But the one that I really wanted to dig into very briefly today is that in 1968, there was a band called the New Yardbirds that made their first performance under their new name. Their new name was Led Zeppelin at a gig in Sur at Surrey University in England. So what happened here is there was a band called the Yardbirds that came to the US during the British invasion of the 1960s. That band broke up in 1968. The guitarist from that band, Jimmy Page, and another uh, rhythm guitarist slash bassist named Chris, Dre uh, I guess it's Dreja, wanted to put a new band together with a band that included a Mellotron keyboard and a guitar to create a new sort of collage of sound. Uh, Jimmy Page asked the established singer Terry Reed to join the group, but he couldn't because of contractual obligations. Uh, that guy, Terry Reed, recommended this unknown singer named Robert Plant, and Plant recommended his childhood friend John Bonham to be the drummer in the group. And then John Paul Jones approached Page and offered to join. They embarked on a tour as the New Yardbirds in September of 1968. And then the next month took this new name. The name comes from a discussion that Keith Moon and John Entwistle of The Who had, where they talked about a super group that would include Page and Jeff Beck. And they said it would go down like a lead balloon, meaning that group would bomb. Uh, and so they adopted that as their the name for their group. They changed the the spelling of lead to L E D to to prevent any mispronunciation, and they they changed balloon to Zeppelin to be a little more epic. Uh, of course, Led Zeppelin went on to become one of the most influential bands of all time. They were named by Rolling Stone as the heaviest band of all time, and unquestionably one of the most enduring bands in rock history. And if you're a Led Zeppelin fan, a few years ago, they were honored at the Kennedy Center Honors. And there's this wonderful tribute video with uh, Jack Black giving a little sort of rock professor lecture about Led Zeppelin. And it has some cool performance clips. And then afterward, there's a tribute that includes Lenny Kravitz, Kid Rock, and members of the band Heart, among others, and the Foo Fighters performing Led Zeppelin songs. So it's pretty cool if you're a Led Zeppelin fan to check that out. Cool. Ksenia, yeah, really cool. what's your favorite Led Zeppelin song? Um, I, I don't think this is their song, but I love their version of Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You. Yeah. That's yours. That is, that's some heavy stuff. Yeah, and I, I, I can't get into Led Zeppelin. I've oh, never man, enjoyed I think you like heavy metal, Casey. So I know. Well, it's, it's sort of, and I was thinking just now, like, how is it? It's very similar to, like, so I like that lineage. But just like, yeah. I like Beethoven, but I don't really like Mozart, even though that's right in the same linear pattern. Those, those. The one tune I think is, is interesting to point out to drummers is their tune Moby Dick, which is basically just what they called it when John Bonham did a drum solo. Uh, but it's the, like even the best rock bands other than maybe Journey uh, don't don't have these like 15 minute extended drum solos in their yeah. show. So that's pretty, pretty significant for drummers. Did you all grow up on Night on Bald Mountain and Fantasia? Do you remember it scaring you as a little kid or are you all too young? No, I was just listening to Led Zeppelin the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but they should have put Led Zeppelin in Fantasia. Oh, they yeah, Night on, Night on Bald Mountain really stood out. I mean, it's like everything was cute and beautiful and Mickey Mouse. And then Night on Bald Mountain was like this nightmare at the end. The devil. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so it was so cool. 
I this, um, this old man said something really inappropriate to me during intermission right after Bald Mountain. This was when I was, I don't know, maybe 14 years old or something. I went to the Teton Music Festival. And, you know, okay, if you're like a dude, you know what it's like. You stand at the urinal and like you're peeing. And I might have to edit this out. We'll have to see where this goes. But, you you know, and then like you might talk to the person next to you. And it can, can be awkward. It can be fine, whatever. But this, it was a great performance. And this old dude turns to me, we're both peeing, and he says, more like great on Bald Mountain. <laughs> old dude. I was like way young. Casey, I was thinking, where are you going with this? <laughs> That's what he said. That's so. Yeah. That's we're, awful. We're <laughs> now we know why Casey's been scarred and unable to appreciate Led Zeppelin. I think I handled it maturely. I said, yeah, that was a really stellar performance. Very accurate. The orchestra sounds great. Oh, it's been, you know, I'm looking forward to how you're going to segue this. I, I don't know. <laughs> there's there's no, no way you just threw me such a curveball and it's on fire also, Casey. So I'll just reposition and, uh, and go back to being more serious. <laughs> Sorry about that. It was just relevant. <laughs> It was very relevant. Yes, thank you. I'm sure Christoph really appreciated knowing this episode from your life. Mm -hmm. um, I'm so pleased to have the opportunity to introduce our special guest. He is a true superstar in the constellation of percussionists. Our guest gave his debut at the Salzburg Festival when he was 12, was a prize winner in the ARD competition in 2014, and is a member of the famous Wave Quartet. He had already recorded albums with the quartet while still a teenager, but waited a little bit for his solo album debut, which he released in 2017. Since then, he has released three albums, basically an album per year. And for his album with Sony Classical titled Incantations, he was awarded the Opus Classic as the Young Artist of the Year. And this is on top of so many other achievements. Christoph, we're so happy to have you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for the for this introduction oh it's, i much. couldn't i don't know how i managed i didn't manage to to make this short and and um <laughs> precise enough but i tried <laughs> um, thanks for finding the time to speak to us um tell us absolutely it's a pleasure <laughs> uh tell us how did you spend uh, the last six <laughs> i've forgotten how to speak i'm truly so excited i'm like <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> So I'll be, I'll be very uh, serious now. How did sure. you spend <laughs> the last six months? Um, I assume this was a period of less activity for you. You had a bit more time to think and a little bit more silence in your life. What did you do? Yes, absolutely. As, as far as I could, I tried to think. But um, on the other hand, yes, actually in the beginning of this period, so um, was end of March, beginning of April, I actually moved to another apartment. So this came actually quite, <laughs> quite nicely because of course this took some time to, to, to settle and to bring everything there and uh, to renovate few things. So um, use the time for that. And of course, I mean, like everyone else, many concerts got canceled, which of course is, very sad in a way to be honest in the beginning i kind of enjoyed um this kind of silence and this kind of you know just calming down and and you literally had the feeling that 
I mean, everyone around you also, it's just on hold. The, the, the world is on hold. It just stops. So there's also no stress. Like if, like you never had the feeling you're the only one who kind of have to, has to uh, do a little pause, but it was just like almost the, the complete world was on hold. So it was in a way a very relaxing or uh, as I said, calm time but of course on the other hand i mean i feel very privileged to even talk about the situation like that because i know that for many many people it was way harder it was getting a bit harder to to deal with with the whole situation and also i mean the insecurity of how things will go on i mean so many halls lost so much money in this in this situation for example uh, wiener konzerthaus one of the most important halls in, in Austria, they lost 5 million euros uh, in that time. I also know from other halls that they lost millions of euros. And of course, the question is how will it come back? I mean, the, the uh, governments, of course, have to spend money in, in all areas now. So let's hope they, they also spend <laughs> spelled for, uh, for culture in the end. But yeah, now as we are talking, I'm actually, I mean, I, I did have some, some like, uh, some kind of Corona concerts, like video recordings uh, from concerts that had been canceled. And I also did a concert in a, in a small church in Germany, uh, which was kind of funny because there were, I think, 30 people in public and uh it was it was broadcasted in radio in ndr and the team of people was like i think on also from the festival there was some, so, so the staff was like 15 people and the public in general was was 30 people so it was kind of kind of weird but that was a very, very nice experience even even if you play for for 30 people in a small church i mean it's it's fantastic and and yeah then then there was also some time just doing doing holiday obviously and and also using the time for uh learning new repertoire which of course as percussionists is always something that we can spend time i mean it takes so much time very often to learn new pieces to get setups together even and also to use the time for i mean not just out of music that of course as well but outside of music but but also for some fields in music that i love but usually don't have too much time to do something with it to play piano to study some scores of different composers maybe composers that didn't write percussion or that are completely out of the percussion repertoire for them from the more classical period so of course that that left some some more space to do that and now as we are talking um i'm finally preparing for for some concerts and i will uh, be playing in in zurich next week and after that uh, in potsdam near berlin and then uh for other concerts which are kind of instead of a festival where i would have played and the complete festival was moved to the next year so they are doing a completely different program with some open air concerts and in different cities. And yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that actually. Well, that, that's amazing. And I was looking at your calendar. It's, it's right now it's uh, September 13th 
but you still have four September dates listed on your calendar. So th those are all happening. It sounds like, right? Like despite COVID, you're still let's able to hope. I mean, you never know in this time. Okay. Literally, I mean, you never know. But as planned, now yes, they are. They are happening. They are happening under special circumstances. But also, for example, in Austria, um, I mean, you probably all read about Salzburg Festival, which was happening very. Uh, successfully and there was no case uh, in the in the public nothing happened there with with COVID-19 I was also visiting some some concerts and of course you have less people in the public but but it worked out very well and uh, so I hope that at least like that concerts will be happening and for example I just read today that in in Musikverein in Vienna there will be 1200 people allowed in the Golden Hall where usually you have a public of 2000, which is of course too less, but I mean, it's way better than nothing. So it's kind of slowly moving. I also wonder if people are more inclined to book a soloist because one, one person on stage or at least fewer people on stage than do mm. the regular orchestra mm. event, you know? Yeah, I mean, they have, they have big troubles uh, with orchestras. For example, also co concert organizers here in Austria where you have completely di different regulations than in Germany. And so some organizers have the situation that they can have a concert with orchestra, but the orchestra that is coming from Germany is not allowed to play uh, in Austria with the Austrian regulations. Oh, wow. Because they still have different uh, regulations in, in Germany. And I have uh, concerts planned in in germany where with orchestra where I still don't know of course if it's if it will happen so i would play the friedrich zerha percussion concerto which i absolutely love and it's uh it's probably one of the hardest to study and i would play it the first time uh, in nuremberg in in february and i just don't know if it will happen actually i think the chances are not too good that it will happen and, and for example, there they are announcing the, the program now, not for the complete season, but for a fourth of the, of the season or for two months or something. So February is still far away. Right. Well, but we but how, is it in the, how, is it, how is it in the US? It must be even worse at, at some points. I mean, I heard of orchestras canceling complete season 2021. It's going great here. No. <laughs> What? Happy to hear that. Like you said, I'm Austria, happy you. I'm Austria happy versus Germany. Like in my state, we're all being real careful. Everyone wears masks. And you go to Carly's state and it's just like, ah, do whatever you want. It's fine. Yep. You can shoot people. You can do whatever. <laughs> wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. It's oh just a free gosh. for all. Yeah. Well, changing yeah, topics. <laughs> go ahead, Ben. Christoph, I, ha I had a, a, a sort of a serious question, but also a, a, a stupid question. Uh, if anyone's not familiar with Christoph, look on YouTube. There are many, many extremely well-produced videos, and it seems like most of them, if not even all of them, are uh, like television, actually, like a, a studio has produced them, which is something we don't see here in the States too much. So is that, do you, it seems like you perform in televised performances. Is there just a better venue for classical musicians? And furthermore, when you play at Raybons, you have these super cool looking red sticks and where can I buy those? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, the first question, um, 
I do have some videos from television performances on YouTube, but there are also a lot that are not from from television that might also look nicely produced. One thing is that my brother is actually, uh, or he was doing that kind of as a, as a hobby to, to film. So there, there are some videos that he did. Uh, and on the other hand, yes, I did have some performances. I mean, classical music in, sadly is not so big in television also also here or, or in, in Germany, so to speak, because actually uh, those performances that are on YouTube, I think they're all from uh, from Germany, actually not from Austria. And there is one, I mean, this is actually the last real, um, real TV show with classical music. It's called uh, Stars von Morgen, like uh, Stars of Tomorrow. It's hosted by Rolando Villason. And they are always presenting like young musicians. And this is where I played uh, Rebon. And the other ones are from, from ZDF, uh, which is one of the uh, to um, state-financed uh, public tele mm -hmm. television, mm -hmm. yeah, what, they have they have some shows where they sometimes have a musician, and I had the luck to to get in there to sneak in there uh, two three times I think two or three times. What about those red sticks though? <laughs> the red sticks, um, they are manufactured from a single person in the countryside of of Austria, of Carinthia, actually. They're called Erho. Uh, it's E-R-H-O. And they actually do have a web page where you can order them. And actually, uh, Martin Grubinger was was uh, playing them. And I think he was kind of developing them with, with that guy. And so they are called Martin Grubinger model, I think. And there are two sizes available as far as I know. And, and uh, I play this, the smaller size usually. They're, they're not so heavy ones. They are kind of, I mean, or are they called taiko, taiko sticks also? They kind of have a taiko influence probably. And are they made of wood or are they plastic? No, no, they're made of wood. They're, they're made of wood. Okay. Yeah, they're wood. And I have, I have many of them actually, and not all of them are red. Just he's, he's kind of, uh, how should I say, you might order red and then you get pink. So, so it's, it's uh -huh. not, you don't always get exactly uh, what you order maybe, but it's always good quality. And um, I just have lots of pairs so that I can choose also according, sometimes even according to the location. Because um, funnily, he doesn't have always the same wood quality, let's say like this. So sometimes you get heavier ones a bit, sometimes a bit lighter ones, even if they are the same size. And depending on that, of course, also the balance is changing. And that, of course, uh, yeah, has an impact on the, on the sound. You know, Ben is saying right now in the chat that he wants to get some to match his red pants that he always performs in. But Ben, do you see how Chris <laughs> yeah, I read is that. talking? I thought that's quite weird. Well, well, you're talking about the weight, the size. No, the I just wood. I don't care. I just want my sticks to be red. That's well, I was gonna say you could just paint some sticks red. You know, you don't have Wait, to. Wait, Casey, I'm does this have good. anything? To, yeah. Okay. No, I think that would go too far. <laughs> but 
No, please, go too far. I was just having a, a strange link in my head with uh, the story that you told before and... Oh, with the man um, on Bald Mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see? There you go, Ben. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I hope, yeah, I hope I could answer your question. I don't know if if he will ship it to the US, but probably he will. Ksenia will bring, just me, ask it. Will bring mm -hmm. me back some from Croatia. We'll put, you, <laughs> we'll put you in touch with some European mafia. Don't worry, Ben. Carly, you had a question from Facebook. Now that now that we've gotten all the important questions out of the way, like where we can get red, red sticks, um, we did get a lot of questions from Facebook and from Instagram for you, Christoph. And here's one really? from, um, from our listener, Ryan Carlisle from Virginia. And he asks, if I had to describe your playing style in one word, it would be theatrical. I thoroughly enjoy watching you play. Can you talk about how you developed that style of playing or did it just come naturally to you? Well, I think, I mean, the movement should never be superior to, to the sound, obviously, and to the music. But I think what the movement should do is to support what you want to express, obviously. And in order to, to do that, I think, I mean, of course, for us percussionists, probably for every instrument, I mean, movement is always connected to sound and to what you say to what you want to say so um i think i would say yes it does come naturally absolutely um but my understanding of playing and my understanding of technique in general is very much related to movement i mean it's very obvious that if you hit an instrument doesn't matter which if it's a marimba bar or if it's a bongo if you hit it like this or like this, it's a completely different sound. And I think that's what I'm always searching for. It's different sound characters, different articulation and so on. And actually that's, it's always amazing to, to experiment with that and to, to try to play with that and uh, to get different ideas uh, of how to play those, <laughs> those drums. Um, this brings us to another question, which we got on Instagram from Mateo Rivas Castro, who is from Ecuador, if I'm correct, but writing from Russia. Um, he said, um, what can you tell us about the Austria-German school of the marimba? How and why do you play like you do? There's a very distinct style. Uh, honestly, I don't think so, because you have a huge variety of, of playing in Austria and in, in Germany. And even from the school that I studied with, uh, I think they're, I mean, if, if you watch the students, they're very uh, different types of players for me. I mean, from someone from outside, it might look different because you have a different view maybe, or you watch different details, but, um, for example, if you watch uh, Kai Strobel, who just won the RD and Trump competitions, uh, who was a, a colleague of mine at Anton Bruckner University, I, I do think that he has uh, very different movements. Or if you watch Elliot Gaston Ross, um, who was, I think, third prize at, at Trump, also at the last Trump, I mean, he's also a completely different character. 
if you go farther than that and if you go to to germany uh or i mean i think that every school has the probably different approach in a way like if you if you compare even what peter sadlo played uh compare compared to to bogdan bakanu who was my marimba teacher i mean they played completely different completely different mallets completely different uh, approach actually and if you go to for example stuttgart and you watch what they are doing there with with marta klimansara i think it's it's again very different so what i can say about the style that i'm playing at least is um and and what i learned also from from bogdan um who also studied with Keiko Abe, of course, is, is to play with weight. And I think that's something very important. And that's something that I also hear very often from other instruments. So if you listen to a violin player, or if you listen to a piano player, or if you uh, listen to a, to a harpsichord player, um, they will all tell you that they try to use gravity for the simple reason that it saves power. And also um, that it, I mean, if you imagine a violin player using his bow like, like this, it won't sound. And I think that's, that's very similar to, to, to percussion. So of course, I'm not saying that, that the way that I'm playing is the only way to do that. There are tons of ways, but I'm, with the way I'm playing, I'm actually trying to, to do that. And for that, I'm using probably a bit heavier mallets than some other people use, I guess. And I'm also using rattan uh, all the time, which probably not so many people do with the grip I play. Uh, exactly. And there was another question that we had, uh, which is why rattan from Marco Drummer um, from Spain? Mm -hmm. Why rattan? It's kind of a... Of a, of a, how should I say, uh, suspension. It's kind of takes off some of the attack, I think, and um, it's it's connected to this to this way of playing that comes from from Keiko Abe, I guess. It's just a bit more flexible, so so it takes, yeah, as I said, it takes off some of this attack. Of course, there are some some difficulties uh, with it, maybe. But I mean, the most important thing is that you play. If you play with heavy mallets or, or on a marimba, I think then with wood you will get problems at a at a certain point. And the rattan takes some some of that out. And I think personally that I mean, as a percussionist, we don't have to worry too much about um, playing staccato. But actually, uh, the thing is, which is way more difficult, is usually how to play legato, how to connect notes. And that's again something that, um, that's again a point why I probably play the movements that I play because I try to connect uh, notes with each other. And with that, it might look theatrical in, in a way maybe, but it's actually uh, phrasing based, I, I would say. I just wanted to add also, I play rattan also, and I find that the, the flexibility of the mallet can create different articulations. And actually, if you take a rattan mallet and if you just squeeze more pressure on the handle, the mallet becomes stiffer. 
and you can get like a more staccato sound. And if you loosen your grip, it becomes more legato. So yeah, it's I think it's it's a much more flexible sound than bar handles. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It it gives it gives many possibilities to create different sounds. I mean, one thing is that if you get too dense and if you play quickly, then you can have the opposite effect that because of blocking uh, the rattan, uh, it actually starts uh, going in all directions. Uh, if, if you fix like uh, one place and, and therefore what I try to do is that the mallet becomes part of, of me actually. I mean, uh, I practiced a lot to, to get the weight into the bar and in the, in the beginning, what happens usually is that uh, the weight uh, is stuck at your hand and doesn't get into the head of the mallet. And, and I think this is something that's very important that you have to learn that actually this, this prolongation of your hand and the, 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 the weight goes on and flows into the head of your mallet actually in, into the bar. And of course you can use the flexibility of, of Rattan to do so. That's very well said. And that answered actually a question by Marco Drummer. Another question that uh, he had was, how do you get the sound that you do on marimba? And I think you just explained that um, as, as much as you can in a Zoom meeting. <laughs> That's all there is to it, right? <laughs> well, if there's anything else you'd like to add about your philosophy of sound and marimba, please do. No, I think, I think that's, I mean, I would have to think about it, but I think one thing that you can say in general, which is very important, is that you have to have an imagination which sound you want to create. And then you just search for that. Of course, it will be very, very helpful to have a good teacher to, to guide you the way a bit and to show you some possibilities, especially in the beginning, obviously. But uh, from that on, I think it's, it's just, yeah, it's just very important to, to get the sound and imagination. And this is something that is constantly evolving and has to evolve for every musician. I think if we don't evolve on that, if we don't search for new possibilities uh, with that, then we will get stuck and, and it, there will be no fun. Because, I mean, if you're a professional musician, you don't always play new repertoire in the concerts, but you play some pieces 20, 30, 100 times. If you always play them the same way, it will get very boring. And uh, so that, that's something that's, that helps me uh, to still want to practice, at least sometimes, um, to, to search for new, new, new elements and, and new sounds. Well, speaking of sounds, we've talked a lot about like the rattan mallets and the sticks and all, but you play a very unique instrument, the, the, the wave marimba from Adams. Can you tell us about that instrument? Well, it's actually, uh, it's actually a Bogdan Bakanu marimba, if, yeah. you, if you want to be correct. Um, and, and he developed that together with Adams. And obviously the, the look is different. That's, that's something that uh, Bogdan always wanted to have. To, I mean, he was originally playing piano and he was kind of used to the to the style of a piano. I know that most pianos are not white and red, but uh, if you talk about the finish, it's, it's actually a piano finish. But that, that's not everything. Uh, it's, it's also built um, a bit more 
massive and it has some tricks and twists. And what's amazing is that it really sounds different even than a, than an alpha marimba. And one thing is that it just uh, resonates a lot. And that uh, I mean, even even in the bass where you, however, have more resonance, but especially in the in the, in the top register, uh, where very often marimbas tended to sound very wooden, very dry. Uh, it has an amazing ability to to sing, and and that's something that I really 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 love about it. But it's also quite heavy, so to carry it, it's a bit more painful. And we actually figured out. I mean, with the wave quartet, we are having flight cases, and I mean, all four marimbas are 1.3 tons, I think. And we had this issue because I mean, we wanted to use one transporter, but I know how it's in the US and in, in Europe with a normal driving license, you can uh, have transporters up to 3.5 tons in general, like overall uh, weight. And so, so most, most transporters allow you to maybe load 800, 900 kilograms, but not more than that. And this is 1,300, so it's quite a lot. Speaking of, you know, Ryan's question, you being theatrical, you speaking about, how movements related to your sound and your technique. I've always wondered like how much of that has to do with just picking rep that really speaks to a person. Cause I know some rep, it certainly speaks to one person and not so much to another. And one person's expressive potential on one piece is like off the charts, but then on maybe another piece, not so much. How do, how do you uh, pick your rep? How do you decide what is gonna really speak to you and what you can perform in this way that's so good? It's funny when you first said rap, the first thing I associated was mallet rapping because we were talking oh, still sorry. about mallets. Yeah. And the second <laughs> thing I was associating was actually like, I mean, rapping as like. Uh, rapping. Like yeah. a rapper? Yeah, yeah when you're. <laughs> when you're one rap. Beats. <laughs> so, I was a bit confused, but yeah, about uh, rapper. I, I actually don't think that I'm, I'm playing like mostly theatrical pieces. I mean, th there are quite some pieces that that actually offer you to play uh, very theatrical. Actually, some of yours as well. Um, I mean, there's some, some amazing pieces like, like Bad Touch, for example. I would say it's... it's uh, do, you, do you play very... Bad Touch? No. Oh. Yes! <laughs> I am gonna frame this little piece of video. <laughs> he, just said it was, he just said it was amazing. No, never mind, I'll just, I'll just crop out the... Do you play Bad Touch? No. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> <you>. <laughs> I'll mail you your check. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I mean I, I haven't played it, but um, but it's definitely, I mean, very interesting. And I was considering, or I am considering, to play, it. and and also the tambourine piece that that you wrote. Oh yeah, small, yeah, yeah, sure. Small gadget or how's yeah, it yeah. yeah. Just heard that also. It was amazing. I mean, it's it's great. Cool. And see, so however, you relax. Yeah. Actually, I'm sorry, but you can still use that uh, that small part. So, um, and about repertoire, how do you choose repertoire? Poof, uh, difficult question. I think there are obviously some some classics that kind of probably everyone has to play, but also at least most people want to play. There are amazing pieces, thanks God, in the in the in the literature, and there are actually so many that I that I would love to study and that are on on my list to study and I also discover more and more. The other part is if you're working for a CD project maybe, 
you might search for a special theme or you might search for a special recital program a piece that fits because for example for silence i i did i did a search for some pieces that actually would would fit and i learned some some new pieces like romantico by by piazzolla or actually also also verano portenio i think arranged by casey's good friend Marius <laughs> cheng uh-huh. Who shall not be named, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and and also some of this Spanish guitar li- literature, which I think is absolutely beautiful. So of course, one point is also arranging, mm, and I think the guitar, also the lute, if you go to Baroque music, is very very handy. And of course, one thing is also commissioned. So that's one thing that I think is very very interesting for for us percussionists to uh, try to collaborate collaborate with composers and if you talk about theatrical maybe you saw the new percussion concerto by Georg Friedrich Haas which I which I premiered uh, last last uh, November in Luxembourg and actually saying that it's funny because um, after the performance his wife um, came to me and 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 she said very well played and so on but but she she enjoyed very much that uh, I was aware uh, how I was using my my body also in between the strokes, and I think for this kind of pieces, I mean, for the people that don't know it, uh, Georg Friedrich Haas is one of the prominent composers of, of spectral music and and working with microtonal music very much. And for this concerto, he he asked me to to build a huge wall of of all kinds of, of metal. Uh, originally he asked for, for 50 actually, 48, but in the end it was almost 150 parts um, to actually be able to, to, to play what he, what he asks from the, from, from the score. And that being said in the beginning, so, so you have to imagine it's, I think it was probably almost two meters high, so I could just reach it uh, with my mallet not with my hands and it was I think three meters or, or more wide and and in the beginning he was just uh, starting very slowly and because of the other instruments that were in the setup so you had some some toms you had three tam-tams you had wood blocks temple block and so on um, the setup was kind of a circle and this uh, klangwand how it's called uh, wall of sound was actually uh, at my back so Starting the concerto, I was not looking to the public, but looking to the orchestra, which is actually very unusual if you're, if you're not in conductor. And the first 10 minutes, I think, of the piece are being played on that instrument. And you just start with, with single notes. And of course, you still have to try to, uh, to transfer something, something to the public, even if you have, uh, I mean, they won't see your face or anything and and you're kind of also missing this connection that you're used to have and you're playing i mean especially if you're playing on such an instrument i think it's very interesting also because i mean you just practice this in the practice room but you have absolutely no experience how it will sound in a big hall so i think it's very important to still be aware of of your impact uh, to the public and to even try to feel the public even if you don't see it and uh, be aware of that and still try also to to show where the music is going uh, 
even if you if you're just playing a few notes and this will also help you to to connect the notes musically for 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 yourself yeah absolutely well while we're talking about repertoire we have a question from an instagram listener um the username is ero percussion uh who is writing from finland and this person is asking what's your favorite percussion or marimba concerto i think i think you cannot quite quite say that i mean it's some people say it's always what i'm playing at the moment but i it's probably not quite right. So, sometimes it sometimes it fits probably, um, but I can just name some of them. Um, I mean, marimba concertos, the one from Sejourné, from Emmanuel Sejourné is, I mean, uh, is of course very special. I I was participating in this in the competition when when this was premiered in uh, in two thousand six actually. So I was one of the first ones to. To play it and of course i mean i and also my playing has changed a lot since then but i know it for quite a long time uh, one of the absolutely greatest uh, percussion concertos i think uh, musically also and in, in terms of musical depth and 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 that is is the one from friedrich Zerhardt that, that i hopefully play in february so there's a great version with Martin Grubing on YouTube if you want to check it out with High Air Symphony Orchestra and Orozco Estrada. And for me, I mean, it's obviously not the, I mean, it's not the most approachable language maybe compared to Sejourney or, or some other concertos. Uh, but I think it's it's a fantastic, fantastic concerto and really, so I think that's one of those concertos that hopefully will will last, and also the one that I just had the honor to to play to perform the concerto by by Georg Friedrich Haas. I think it's it's fantastic, and I mean talking about that, most of Kashin concertos are very different from each other, and I think that that's amazing. I mean, of course, there is this maybe this genre of kind of. Um, how should I say, romantic, uh, maybe neoclassical marimba concerti. Uh, but if you go to to percussion concertos with, with setup, usually the composers are, they, they always find, uh, find very special solutions, how, how to deal with that. And for example, with Haas already from the instruments, I mean, I played, I never played before on something that was even close to that. And, but I think it's it's amazing uh, for for what it is actually for for being something that no one else probably could write in in in, in that way. And of course, there are so so many. I mean, also the um, the concerto from I know Johanni Rautavara Incantations. Uh, I love it because it's it's one of the few uh, percussion concerti I think that are for a bit smaller orchestra. And that are also written in a more chamber music way. So very often you have the huge orchestra and lots of stuff going on and very often very archaic and very loud. But this one is is very different in, in, in that regard. And there are also composers. I actually just spoke, uh, I think, one month to a, to a German composer that I would have really loved to write a percussion concerto. 
and he just said that that he doesn't know what what to do with that <laughs> he said that might change but um but for him percussion is such an archaic uh, instrument that he wouldn't know what to do with a 19th century symphony orchestra behind it that's just that's just for himself i mean he just he just said he he didn't find his approach to that to that uh, repertoire or or to that yeah to that combination yet and and i think that's very interesting because there are many composers that uh, struggle in in the beginning with with the idea of writing a percussion concerto i think i think even uh, john corigliano he wrote it in his in his uh, foreword for the conjurer that he also uh, in the in the in the beginning he was not sure if he could write a concerto or if he wants to write one because usually you would uh, Establish some thematical material in the in the solo instrument, and how would you do that if you if you don't have uh, tuned instruments? Obviously, you have a marimba, you have a vibraphone, but if you if you put that aside, it's it's something else. So it's a it's a challenge, and and this challenge brings all kind of solutions. We have another question from Ante Kolesik from Poland, but writing from Florida. Um, he said. What, in your opinion, is the importance of competitions in a solo percussion career development? How did your competition titles help you? So I, I did I did quite some competitions um, up to when I was twelve, like youth competitions, and and then the one in in Linz at that time. And of course, at that point, it was not about career; it was just about uh, motivation, actually. And I mean. Yeah, with the competition in, in Linz, for example, it was just amazing to be there, uh, at the, being very young and, and basically you, you don't care. I mean, if you, even if you, already if you come to the second round, it's, it's amazing. So, so you have like no pressure and that's, that, that's just amazing. And then the next competition I did was RD. And after that, I didn't do any more. I would say RD for, for me, it, it opened some doors but I did have to walk them myself. So it was far not that everything went by itself. Um, but it gave me the possibility to, to call at some concert halls or to write to some concert halls and, and get a meeting with the, with the directors and introduce myself. And this would lead to, to different collaborations. And sometimes it's, um, it went on quickly sometimes yeah for example for example um i have a very i mean a fantastic connection with the philharmonie luxembourg now i could say and i mean they were also the ones that that said we want to do a percussion concerto commission with you and then we were searching together for, for composers and also for um for for different halls and I mean, they were crazy enough in the in the beginning, as my dream was uh, to ask Penderecki for a percussion concerto, and they were, uh, I mean, they were crazy enough that they said they, they they want to try, and I think it would have been amazing. But sadly, I I also tried later, but uh, but it was it was impossible because yeah, because of several reasons he 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 didn't write very much in the end, and I mean now he's dead. So. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So, so um, this connection with the Philharmonie of Luxembourg uh, 
it it started actually after after ID uh, competition when I got in contact with them, and it started on a smaller scale, and after after some projects, um, it it just developed. Projects got bigger, and as, at a certain point, they they I actually came with the idea, I think, and 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 they were yeah happy to do it, and I think that's that's one very very important thing if you're talking about careers that it's very much about trust also and um, sometimes organizers need some time also to develop trust in you to to see what you're doing to get to know you and think with percussion sometimes also they just don't know what to expect and they don't have the right eye yet like probably it's easier for them to to see a young violin player and to know what to do with with him or with her and and to know where where to put them and so sometimes you have to be patient with with some organizers and of course it's it's very much about about networking also and about approaching people bringing your ideas in and not to be shy to 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 approach people even even if they are famous sometimes too i mean sometimes you just get a no or, or uh but but if you have ideas then yeah i think it's worth uh trying to 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 do them well you know speaking of organizers i was going to ask i feel like a lot of young people understand the climbing the ladder to become a good player it's like that's a very seeable idea and they understand okay first you want to play this then you want to play that then you want to study and go on and on and on until you can play what christoph is playing but i think once they're done with that like how do you go from being the great player that you are to, okay, now I'm on a stage uh, playing a concerto with a major orchestra and I'm talking to organizers and networking with all these people to make my next tour and my next trip. Mm. Sure. I mean, that, that's also something that you, that you have to learn, I think. And in the beginning, you will be uncertain how to do it. It's, I mean, the best is if you have some people around you that maybe do have some experience with it. One thing is, of course, I think also learning by doing. You just have to, you just have to do it. You just have to make your own thoughts. Um, also, think very carefully what you want to do. I, I, I mean, I would always warn to to comparing yourself too much because, um, first of all, it can make yourself very unhappy if if you don't if you want exactly what someone some person X has. And, and, and you don't get it, but also it prevents you from going your own way, which can be very sad because your own way is supposed to be the most interesting if you really follow your own ideas. And I mean, of course, in, in times of social media or Facebook and so on, we always get it right into the face if, if someone does something successful or if someone, but you never see what's, what's behind and, and how long it took maybe to, to build that. And I think that's, that's something, uh, I mean, it's not that I feel so old, but for, for, for younger players um, to, to have patience and to sustain doing what you're doing, even if you have some setbacks, maybe. I think that's, that's very important. And uh -huh. it's, just a, it's just a step by step thing. And if you, have, if, you, if you are able to build some connections to some, to some organizers, and maybe in the beginning it's an organizer from a small hall. It, Will get a bit bigger and if you have some people that you have a good connection with they will support you and then you can ask them and you can ask them 
can you help me, for example, to approach uh, some, some agencies or can you help me? I mean, of course, they all know each other. So if you know one organizer from a, from a good hall, then probably this organizer knows many more. And of course, you can ask, look, could, could you uh, pass me the contact from that one or could you give me a recommendation? And I think that's, that's what you have to do. You have to go step by step. And don't rely on, on concert agencies to do the job for you because that's very hard to find one that will really do everything. So better, better do it yourself and, and don't rely on anyone else. We've heard that from people who have also won management and, and have had representation that uh, so much of it is still about how you represent yourself and who you meet, the kind of person that you mm -hmm. are. I mean, the most important, of course, is how you present yourself on stage. And, and you should be very aware of that, even as, I mean, especially as a young player, that you also don't go out and try to build a career too early. Because, I mean, of course, there are many, many other players. And sometimes you just get one, one chance, uh, one impression. And, and uh, one organizer hears you and he will have his impression. And so it's, I think it's very important that that you don't do that too soon just because you want to reach this and that, but you have to be ready as a player and you know you have to know what you're, you're doing. I think this should be also the biggest aim because this is what will make you happy in the end also, to, to really know what you're doing and to really be able to express on your instrument what, what you want to express. I mean, this is what should all aim for and and um, yeah, take take your time to to learn that. Don't don't uh, get too stressed from from other factors of career or this one has done that already and I'm one year older or whatever. No, I mean you have to. You really have to study your craft and and you have to grow doing that. So I think it's very good if you don't go from practice studio to a very big stage, just like this, because. I mean, when you're on, on one of those big stages, you also experience, I mean, you don't just get to know, but you experience what it means to, to actually stand on that. And also, also of course, the pressure and, and the comparison with, with, I mean, the people that play on these stages, also from other instruments, they are great players usually. So you have to be able to, to keep up with them. And for that, it's good to have something in your, in your backpack. Of course. Wait until you're mature enough, basically. Um, in Christoph's uh, life, that was being 12 to go to Salzburg. For most of <laughs> us, it might be 40, but that's okay. If that's when your time comes, that's when your time comes. Um, okay, so to go to answer to all our, uh, to all our listeners, uh, we have Filip Koroschitz, who's from Slovenia, but writing from Sweden. He said, how do you get your one-handed runs to be so lightning fast and still seemingly so relaxed, thinking of frozen in time first movement? You have okay. Answer. I was just thinking one-handed runs. Where where do I play one-handed runs? <laughs> um, I think it's very much about too, where it's just like you do one mallet over and over and over. It's like so just incredibly smooth. Mm. But the thing is that I don't do technical exercises in general. I mean, n not really. So I took a lot of time to to learn how to play. As I said, I and I, I did very basic movements and and exercises like just with one mallet. And it took a lot of time to understand how that works with one mallet. 
I think this this time was was where yeah it's it's very important to 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 spend time to actually um, yeah. As I said before, to to really understand your your craft, to understand once once you understood and once you you understood kind of how it works and and uh, how you can do things, um, you probably don't have to practice it so much anymore. And and that's that's also what I said before. If you if you play with weight, then you don't have to use your muscle so much. A muscle you have to train, but weight will always be there hopefully i mean <laughs> with <laughs> corona and everything you never know what will happen next but uh, usually gravity will stay with us and um so 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 that that's something that um that that will help you to not to have i think once once you invest uh, lots of time to to really understand your technique you don't have to invest so much later and and that's actually very important because often you don't have so much time to prepare something and talking about frozen in time I, I just try to stay relaxed. I mean, that being said, of course, yeah, sure. I mean, try to stay relaxed, but this is basically the movement. And I think everyone can do that. And you just have to, to, to practice how to do that on a marimba with, with your mallet. And so, so I don't do something like, uh, like, like uh, rudiments uh, on, on marimba or something that, and that, that, take a metronome and I practice for hours. I just rather try to understand how it easily works. And it's also because in that regard, I'm very lazy. So I don't want to practice this kind of things uh, for ages because I have so many other interests and especially also other musical uh, interests that I don't want to spend my time um, practicing technique. And that being said, um, in Linz, actually, in where I studied, I think we were one of the first schools long before I started. My teacher, Leonard Schmidinger, was one of the first in Europe to really do rudimental drumming. And that's also one of the reasons. I mean, Martin Gobinger, he's also one of his students and, and he's extremely well on that. That's kind of the, the, the other thing. So I did this on marimba with, with one mallet and, and much time on, on, on percussion. We did do a lot of rudiments and a lot of practice pad. And that also, I think, gives you the foundation for, for, for percussion. And I, I did this very much in my studies. Then I didn't do very much of that for quite some years, actually. But I, I just if I had to practice something, I did it on the, on the setups. Because I think it's also something completely different playing on, on a practice pad and playing on a setup sometimes. So there are people that can play incredibly well on a practice pad faster than me. But then suddenly, if they have to play uh, Rebond, for example, they, they don't know how to do it. Just now, I actually got to, uh, back to uh, practice practice pad. So, so I kind of rediscovered that. And I, I have actually much fun to, to go with the metronome and try to get faster every day. But yeah, coming back to Dorman, in the beginning, of course, you, I mean, I don't want to say that I didn't struggle. I mean, this piece is extremely difficult. And, and, and of course, you don't start with with the with the tempo that that's written, but you start very slow, and also of course you need you need time. But once once you've got it and you understood how it works, it's it's important to strive for a way that um, that that doesn't require so much so much more practicing in terms of speed. Uh, Brian from Hong Kong says, "What is your favorite drumstick for snare drum and drums in general?" I think that's. Uh, 
that same like with what's your favorite concert right i think it depends on on what what you play and uh the red ones yeah the red ones <laughs> thanks exactly <laughs> and we'll become your representative from now on for this question um we had a couple of more thoughts on multi-percussion sound i mean there are tons of different approaches and and I think it's again finding your own approach. I think it's also about weight there with with multi percussion. Um, and I mean, if it's about weight, it's sometimes also about how to take off weight. So if you play a setup like Rebor, I mean, you have completely different drums. So probably comparable to a marimba, you have low bars and and of course the the higher bar. And they need different uh, the things actually, uh, and and the same is if you have a big bass drum and and you have bongos, and so some of that you have to do with your hands, and for the for the stick I think you just have to find something that of course sounds as good as possible on the different instruments. But there are, there are a lot of things that you can actually do do with with the hands. So for example, of course on a bass drum, I would try to put in more weight to even maybe grab the mallet a bit more in the end. And uh, with a bongo, it's very often this light sound where you just uh, try to get the stick off as, as, as quick as possible. I very much like to play on natural skins. So if you have watched some of my uh, performances, uh, for example, I play Ribon B and also A all on natural skins. And I experimented a bit with goat skin and with calf skin and even um, when I recorded Rebon, I was playing Rebon A on on goat skin, but uh, but on two layers of goat goat skin stick together, because goat skin is usually quite thin, and and for me the the natural skin just sounds way better in 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 many occasions, because the the overtone spectrum is uh, so much more has so much more harmony and and the foundation is just 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 great and it sounds a little bit more like like music than than drums maybe if you want to put it in a yeah so much if you more, want to see it much more earthy earthy and and actually also if you're talking about sound colors and, and you take for example ribbon a i mean that's such a fascinating piece where you can do so much with articulation i think that that nature skins give you so many possibilities with that, depending on where to play. Uh, it j just changes even more than 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 a than a plastic skin. I mean, of course, there are also tons of different plastic skins, but but if I play a um, a nature skin a bit more to the to the outside, uh, it won't it won't it still won't sound thin, but it will sound uh, it will just ring extremely well and and longer and and you have an amazing um, possibility to play to play legato and and sing with the drum and i mean it's it has a way more tonal character and funny thing is i thought that in front of an orchestra i have to play with uh, plastic drums I mean, with plastic skins because they of they do have more attack but when i played this uh Georg friedrich haas concerto there's this one place um if if you watch it where where the soloist has go, has to go completely crazy uh there are different patterns written and you have to combine them always 
So, so it's not improvised, but, but you go from one pattern to the other and you, and you shouldn't repeat them. But it's, it's written in the score uh, that you should actually play louder than the orchestra and the orchestra is playing on full power. And I, I thought I will have huge struggle doing that. And you have, to, you have to hold it for one minute. I mean, originally he changed it a bit because in the first rehearsal, I, I played it and you couldn't hear the orchestra. And because those nature skins were actually so loud and, and so, so massive in, in, in a way. And, and yeah, so, so that was something, some, again, where I thought, okay, <laughs> uh, something that's, that you have, to, you have to keep in mind. And I mean, generally speaking, this earthiness usually helps you to, to be heard, even if you play with an orchestra. And the same thing is with marimba. That's one of the reasons why I play, uh, one of the reasons why I play with weight and, and also why, why I play with, with high movements. Um, I, I saw that in some of the, the comments from, from, from YouTube videos, like people asking, why do you play so high? And it, it's certainly not to, to show off or something or to, to do a show, but it's, it's to, to, to play with weight, but, but still uh, not crack the bars basically. So, so still, still um, not to get straight into the bar, but still to, to do a, a soft movement. And of course, if, if you want to do it on a, on a higher scale, the movement will also get a bit higher. Um, that, that took care of another one of our uh, Instagram questions. And then the last one, which is really serious, you've really got to brace yourself for this. Again, from Matteo, he said, how is it possible to be so awesome? <laughs> uh, You've got a lot of fans. <laughs> well, that's, that's great to hear. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's great to hear that. Um, especially because, I mean, I've thought so many things that I want to work on that I sometimes really don't have that feeling. So it's, it's good to hear it from, from other people. Thank you very much. <laughs> of course we all share we all share his opinion well uh folks do you have any other questions i know we've gone a little bit over time christo sorry but it's it's a lot of fun to talk to no, you. i just uh, have to finish at 10 because there's a u.s open finale so <laughs> probably probably also I, I don't know if you're tennis fans but very important I'm, I'm, you know i, I think, I think our, young, our young listeners might just want to hear like what's your what's a typical day like for you because you mentioned way at the beginning of the episode that it uh it just takes a long time to learn this rep and uh so many people nowadays we're all mm. just saying like oh i can never find the time to do this and that but uh you know what's a day like for you a typical day i think there is no no typical day um but and there are the days of course when you're kind of on tour when you're playing concerts and then of course you're focusing on that and i mean that that's something that maybe many people also cannot imagine when they when they haven't done it but it's extremely exhausting um to to play concerts as a percussionist and and that's why now if i play concerts i always have someone uh to help me and uh to sometimes even it's actually what i try to do even if i always feel like i also want to build up and build down and i want to help but really have to hold myself back and save my energy because if you spend 
two, three hours on the concert day to build up. And then after the concerts also to build everything down and load it into the truck. And then it's one o'clock and maybe on the next day you have a drive of eight, nine hours in a, in a transporter, which is not the, um, <laughs> not the nicest way. The most way. comfortable, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not the most comfortable. I mean, you, you really have to, to save your energy. And, and uh, so if, if you ask me about uh, being on tour, then that's for sure one, one of the things that I had to learn, especially when I did this um, in 2017, 2018, I did this uh, ECHO, that's this European concert hall organizations from I think 25 of the, of the big European concert halls. And, and they, they always nominate different people uh, to play in all those holes and they send them around. So you play lots of concerts. This is where I really understood that it's so important to have people that help you and actually let them also help you. And well, if, if I'm at home, it depends uh, if there are concerts uh, to come uh, or if there's nothing for the next two weeks. Um, of course, if possible, I try to squeeze in learning some new repertoire or the moment I'm trying to learn maracas, for example, for playing Temascal. I mean, as a percussionist, sometimes we don't just learn a new piece, but we learn a new instrument, actually, <laughs> to be able to play a piece. And so I'm trying to play to learn this Venezuelan techniques. And of course, it, it takes time. There's some things that you can do even when you are watching maybe yeah, a tennis game some stick tricks or even practicing practice pad maybe sometimes. Um, and then there are, of course, things like this uh, Zeha concerto. These are uh, 60 pages of atonal music that you have to learn and you have to play quite some parts of it uh, by heart. There's a crazy uh, place in the middle with xylophone and, uh, and, and wood blocks and senseros and so on. And it goes on forever. And of course, you have to be... <laughs> You have to be very uh, enduring to, to, to learn this, this kind of things. But the other thing which is probably making life a bit easier is that if you have played a piece more often, if, I have, if you have played something five, 10 or 20 times, um, then very often it's just about having your hands fit and, and playing it few, uh, through a few times, of course, but you don't have to practice it Obviously, like you practice it when you played it the first few times in, in, in concert. So that will help you. And well, with that, I'm just trying to be as economic uh, with my time as, as possible, because of course, I don't want to spend my whole time in the, in the practice room, but also want to do some, some other things and um, social life, but also, also sports. And um, the good thing is now I, my, I mean, I have a, I have a practice room, which is, a bit outside of the city where I'm living, but I mean, the city is not so huge. So it's just 13 kilometers. I don't know how many miles to that. Um, Eight, nine, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. Something. And I'm actually, I, I bought myself a road bike. So I'm, I'm trying to go there by road bike as, as often as I can. So this takes probably 25 minutes uh, to 25 to 30 minutes, depending how fast it goes. And then you, already did some did some sports on the on the way which is which is good to kind of combine those things but yeah sometimes i'm also just lazy and sleeping a bit longer sometimes i wake up in the morning and i'm full of energy and i sit i have a 
electric keyboard and I sit and I play some piano and try to read some Mozart sonatas slow. And so I'm always doing some of this stuff actually also. So um, because as I said, I see music as a complete thing. And, and I think if you do only percussion, I mean, it's, it's, it's great, it's amazing and you can do so much, but in the end, it, still it is limiting. So for me to sustain my fun in playing percussion, it's actually, um, yeah, it's, it's necessary to, to do other things. And, and for example, when I was learning, getting back again to this Georg uh, Friedrich Haas concerto, which is crazy from the, from the mental side, it has uh, places where you have like normal 4-4 four, four bar, but then you have 32s, 31, 30, 29, and so on, but with different instruments and, and changing and everything like that. And the thing is, I, I didn't have the, the instrument ready, this sound wall. Uh, it, it took so long and I was just not happy with it. And I decided better build a bit longer on that and then have an instrument where you don't have so, to practice so much. It, it's, it's better than, than having an instrument that actually doesn't sound so well and you have to practice so much to make it sound good so so i pre i mean I, I basically learned that uh concerto just with the score and of course that can be uh a bit dry sometimes at the same time i was practicing curtain drums a lot so i, I didn't quite have a marimba repertoire going on at the moment so i just sat on the piano i think one or two hours and i basically had had lots of fun doing that actually in between and playing some Mozart or, or Beethoven. Not that I'm a great piano player, but but uh, it's just great to get in touch with some some other music and uh, and so that's yeah. You're good. And we saw some videos of you playing piano. You're good. You're you're better than you sell yourself. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do but, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No. You play some other instruments too, no? Well, I, I started a bit of harpsichord, which was also very interesting and uh, also a thing that, that I try to do from some uh, fr from time to time is uh, to do figured bass. Um, it's just also very healthy for harmonical understanding and so on. And it comes, of course, with harpsichord. And yes, I mean, I started playing percussion with six years old and I play, started playing double bass when I was eight. So not long after that. So I, uh, until I was 14, I played both instruments uh, very serious actually. And yeah, at a certain point I just had to kind of decide because I mean, to, to be fair, percussion is not one instrument. I mean, it's so many instrument, instruments. I mean, if you if you take marimba and and rudiments and if you take marimba and piano, sure maybe rudiments is a bit closer, but I mean it's not that close actually, to be honest. I mean if you if you if you really compare on a piano, you also I mean you also stroke in a way, and of course you use your fingers and but the but the technique of of playing marimba and the technique of playing drums it's completely different actually and and of course then you have hand percussion then you have maracas and so on so yes it's 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 not the easiest road so to speak so sometimes for example if if i compare myself to a to a young violin player i mean if if i think of that like i mean no trouble with carrying the instrument um so much repertoire <laughs> 
so much repertoire that is great, but relatively easy to learn <laughs> compared to what we have to learn. So, so that's why I said you, <laughs> you shouldn't compare too much because to start comparing that um, and seeing the disadvantages of percussion, I think, I think, of course, there are some. But then there are so many uh, advantages and so much where you can uh, train from and where you can really get something back that, that it's also fantastic. But it's, it's, it's also for me difficult to, to fit everything under, under, under one roof and, and to, to manage uh, the time. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, definitely a challenge. As long as there are tennis tournaments to watch, I'm sure you're going to be learning new instruments. So <laughs> we just need to keep those tennis players going. And you'll keep tennis and, and Tour de France, actually, also. Oh, oh. I mean, bike races, I, I never watch them, but as I'm getting a bit more interested in bikes, in, in road bikes, uh, yeah, I was watching a bit, and it's actually more interesting than you think if you, if you don't know about it. It's like probably with every sport. If you, if you don't have a clue about it, if it's soccer or if it's basketball, you think it's it's extremely boring. And there's more. The more you know, the more you the more interesting. It's always interesting to watch a bunch of millionaires compete. I mean, those those <laughs> yeah. But with bike race, I mean, one one race lasts five hours or something. So so you can do quite some practicing if you watch everything. A full concerto <laughs> learned. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Christoph, so much for being a guest on our podcast. Uh, we had well, a thank you again. applause. Thank you. We had thank a lovely, you. lovely time with you. Um, best of luck with your upcoming concerts. We hope your schedule yeah. I is just dense. hope they will happen. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Man. Yeah, yeah fingers holding. crossed for you. Fingers but crossed. how is it for you now? I mean, how is it in the, in the U.S.? Is, how is the, it's, it must be even worse than in the U.S. I Europe. said it's also, great. All, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so you just you just don't want to talk about it. Actually, something that probably I should I mean that I should at least say is that that I also started teaching again now because I, I was teaching in in Vienna but I uh, I stopped uh, for in, I think two years I didn't teach now but now I just uh, with this semester I'm starting in Linz which is oh, which is great oh, wow. because it's the city that I'm living in and and I mean I'm actually. Uh, being colleagues now with with that with my uh, teachers and and I'm so happy about it because it's it's an amazing place and that's cool and it's it's amazing students also there and I've heard a lot of performers performers say like they want some kind of permanence you know like you because you travel the world you do all these things you meet people and you may never see them again you know there's something there's something appealing to a lot of people about travel the world but then come back to the same mm. colleagues that you get to know for years and years and you know form deep friendships and relationships well then you should you should pull the plug on this thing i, I will i will yeah on. yeah sorry it's gonna it's gonna last forever we're gonna take away your time from your tennis match but thank you again so much christoph for being uh on the yeah, podcast we loved having you on and learning all about your little secrets thanks casey carly ben thanks to all the listeners who submitted all the cool questions and we're looking forward to seeing you on the next episode Bye. Bye-bye.